But today, the text is John chapter 11, and the title of the message you'll see behind, behind me is The Emotions, the Miracle, and the Hit. <clears throat> you'll see all this play out. Some of us uh, don't read our Bibles like we know we should. I mean, you can pretty much say that most of the time, that most of us don't. Most of us don't pray like we should. Stephanie and I had that highlighted when we visited a place many years ago, Ohio Christian Church out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, they, I, if I remember correctly, they're 14 miles away from the nearest town. That town has a convenience store, and that's it. There's nothing else. I think there's a post office in the convenience store, but it's, it's out there. We went to visit because I was the visiting preacher. They needed a, somebody to fill in. We went to Sunday school, and when we attended Sunday school, the guy that was teaching it said, okay, so how many uh, chapters did you read this week? Everybody, they took a tally of how many chapters in the Bible each person read, and I thought, oh my goodness, these people read their Bibles really well. I was put on the spot. It's like, ah, maybe, I don't know, five. And the, the people are like reading entire books, you know, compared to me. Like, oh, I'm horrible. But we're going to go through all of John chapter 11 today. There are more verses in John chapter 11 than there are weeks in a year. There are, I don't know if you know, but as far as numbers of weeks in a year, it's the same as the number of Letters we have in the alphabet, if you separate the minuscule and majuscule, 52. There's more than 52 verses here. We're going to get through it. It's okay. So we'll, we'll navigate through. And, and I want to tell you right now, there's a bit of trivia that if I were to ask you, you might miss it uh, because, thank you, Jim. That's very, very kind of you. I have no idea where my, where my notes went. Uh, but it's a good thing we had another set that, for the sound booth. So I do have notes. That's awesome. We're going to... I was very tempted to simply just do the verses anyway. The Bible is good enough. I mean, any part of it, just reading the verses is so good. And chapter 11 is exceptionally special. But the, the trivia that you would miss more than likely, or at least most of your peers, you have a head start. But most of your peers would miss, most Christians would miss a question. What is the shortest verse in the Bible? Most people would give a straight answer they've been told their whole lives, and it's wrong. The shortest verse in the Bible may or may not appear in the prison, prison epistles. If you remember, we went through the Hard Times Letter series, and I talked about that. I, I'm not going to give it to you now. You can figure it out. But today, the wrong answer, we will look at it. We will look at the shortest verse in the English Bible, which is the one that you're thinking is the right answer. It's the wrong answer. It's the shortest verse in the English Bible, not the shortest verse in the Bible. So we'll get there. First, we start with verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. 
It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters went to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, it's an interesting thing here. We want to ask this question, when and where did this happen, this idea of, remember, Mary's the one who anointed Jesus with oil, with her hair. Remember that? Remember when she did that? So the answer to the when and where, you'll see the when and where pop up behind me. The answer to that is John chapter 12. Well, that's strange. Because as you read this, you would think it's already happened. Well, it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. But John was inspired to let us know who the players are. Because everybody knew the story. And it's actually bigger than John gives us because there's more to it. So there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a glaring question. Why? You see that, why, that question pop up behind me? And the answer is probably found in Luke. In fact, it's Luke. You'll see it pop up. Chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 gives a little bit more to the story. Doesn't even give the anointed with oil piece but focuses on another piece. And it's when Martha was confused. Maybe you'll recall. Uh, Martha kept serving and serving and serving and serving and serving, and Mary kept listening. Now, Martha's listening too, just not as attentively. Mary is staying and learning at Jesus' feet. Martha it's quite upset. Well, you tell her to help. You see all the serving? I'm doing all the serving and she's not. And Jesus corrects her and says, Mary's chosen the greater thing. I mean, Jesus doesn't encourage laziness. So what was the whole point of all of that? Well, Mary had chosen the better thing. Jesus is only going to be here a short time on earth. So she's soaking it up and she's learning as best she can. She's the more reflective one of the two. That's important to note because of what happens in our story today. And that's probably why this note was given. So, okay, pay attention to what's going on here. Uh, Mary's the one who anointed Jesus. She was getting it more than Martha. Martha was getting it too, but she was, there was things clicking in her head better than in Martha's. So that's good to kind of get this in the story because of the roles of the women that they're going to play in a little bit. All right, so we'll move on. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for glory, for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. It's very wise the way he chose his words. And it's also wise the way God chose John to document these things. He told us that he loved Nazareth, Lazarus, and then he's going to tell us a little more. Look at this, starting with verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Isn't that interesting? So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said to the disciples, Let's go to Judea again. So he purposely waits 
But notice the text, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why did he not name Mary? Well, he already did, because he said she's the one that anointed Jesus. So it's okay. It doesn't mean she's lesser. It just means that he already named her, so it's, it's all right. And he already kind of highlighted her. But notice he also said he loved her, and he loved her, and he loved him. So he loved all three of them, the siblings. But Lazarus was mentioned first, so he loved him significantly, apparently. We'll continue on in our text with verse 8. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. It's interesting how he does this. He, he goes back and forth in using literal language and figurative language. You have literally felt what it's like to break a toe on something that you didn't catch. You caught with your foot, but you didn't realize it was there because it was dark or it was obscured. Or you trip over something in the dark you didn't know was there because it's not normally there, but it's dark, you don't see it. So you can hurt yourself wandering around in the dark, and Jesus mentions this, and he's talking figuratively. But it's interesting to me because I think of how Jesus was speaking. More than likely, he was speaking in Hebrew, and the word, when he's talking about half a day, 12 hours in a day, that's half of yom. Yom is the Hebrew word for, 20, for, for day, and the Hebrew equivalent... Uh, the numerical equivalent to that Hebrew word is 24. So if you're one who likes to follow the science more than the, uh, those who claim that they follow the science, it's kind of interesting to note that the word for day in Hebrew has a numerical equivalent for 24. So it kind of blows a hole in the theory that days were longer than 24 hours when he created them. <clears throat> We'll continue with verse 11 and following. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Once again, he's bouncing back and forth in figurative versus literal. <clears throat> We'll move on with verse 14 and following. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, some of your translations say Didymus, that's a literal transliteration. Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let's also go there that we may die with him. So Thomas, it might sound like a very negative and skeptical thing, similar to when he said, I'm not going to believe if he rose from the dead later unless I actually see the scars and touch for myself, which the Bible does never say he actually touched him, but he saw them. But I like this Thomas guy. He's not one that just automatically jumps into belief. He's not one that automatically goes with the crowds. He's one that questions things. And he 
sees that, hey, there's danger ahead. If we go, they're trying to kill the one we're following. They're probably going to try to kill us too. And he's right. That's exactly what is going to happen. Verse 17 continues. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles out, uh, off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. See, that's probably why we have been given that information. Mary's the one, if you remember, she's the one that sat at Jesus' feet instead of serving. She's the one that anointed Jesus with oil. And we'll get to that in chapter 12. And, and wiped it with her hair. That's Mary. And Mary is inside. She knows Jesus is there, just like Martha. But Martha's the one that runs out to meet him, and Mary stays. She knows Jesus loves her. We don't know what she's doing, but we can't help but think she's reflecting. She's taking it all in. What's happening? Why did he wait? Martha said to Jesus, verse 21, we pick up, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So see, Martha's been listening. She's been learning. She knows. It's not like she was ignoring Jesus' teaching while she served. She was paying attention, just not as attentively, attentively as Mary. And Jesus corrects her in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. It's an interesting way that that's worded. But she gets it. She understands. And she believes. Some of us have chosen some of those words as our favorites in some of the verses in the Bible. We'll continue on. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. Now, we don't know if he really was calling for her, but that's what she told her. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. So he's still a distance away, and he's coming to it. Verse 31, we pick up. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died does that sound like our sister? Yeah. <clears throat> we'll continue on verse 33 and 34. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit 
and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Now this phrase here, this deeply moved, you see it underlined up behind me. I want to give you a Greek word here. You'll see it drop down. There it is. And here's how you say it, etarotson, and it means troubled. But let me give you a more detailed definition. To cause one inward commotion, take away his calmness of mind, disturb is his equanimity. Okay, all right. Preacher, and make me pull out my dictionary. What's equanimity? Let me explain. If you don't know what that is, I don't have it up on the screen. It's one of those things that it's, uh, it's what all, if Anthony was here, I would have put him on the spot and made him look it up on his phone or something. But equanimity is what every counselor wants to help an individual have. Equanimity is a calmness inside of you. Um, a calmness, uh, even when there's trouble, a calmness. It's what Jesus had everywhere he went, except there were a couple of times, this is one of them, where he didn't have it. It's one of those things that a chaplain is required to have. You better be the calm one in the room. It's something that firemen and law enforcement are supposed to have. EMTs, emergency room doctors, you want them to have it. And Jesus' equanimity was disturbed. And that leads us to the wrong answer to the question, what is the shortest verse in the Bible? This, the right answer to the question, what is the shortest verse in the English Bible, is John eleven thirty five. Here it is. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the English Bible. Simply put, Jesus wept. John 11.35 is the verse. John 11.35 is the number you need to remember. People don't tend to give as much credibility as Christians when we say somewhere in the Bible it says, because there's a lot of people that say that and they make it up. John 11.35 is the specific logistics, it's the GPS, it's the longitude and latitude of where the shortest verse in the English Bible appears. So if you dare to try to quote it at our Wittenberg Carnival and get an extra ticket, you better know that number. John eleven thirty five. Don't just say, it says it somewhere. All right, we're going to get back to this verse. Um, this is the shortest verse in the English Bible. And it may be more significant than most people know. Because for most people, it's like, can you quote a Bible verse? Jesus wept. That's it. I, I, that's the first verse I memorized. Jesus wept. It's easy. John eleven thirty five. 35, that's the hard part to remember. But when you can remember Jesus wept, you can quote a verse in the Bible. Hey, there you go. That's the significance. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not the significance. We'll get back to that. Okay. Verse 36, the next verse. So, so the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Well, that's a good question. Here's a man that was born blind. Everybody's been talking about it. I mean, we saw him. He's, his eyes were sunken in because his muscles in his eyes didn't even work. He was born that way. So, and then all of a sudden, now he's got fully functional eyeballs and muscles that surround it, and he can see and he never saw before. That's a pretty big miracle. And if he can do that, can he help somebody who's sick to get better? I mean, let his friend die. So there's skeptics. I mean, if he can heal a blind man, surely he could keep somebody from dying. Then Jesus deeply moved. This is verse 38. Again, came to the tomb. That's that same term we talked about before. Deeply moved. And it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, the practical one, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Now, the juvenile inside of me, which some could argue that men never grow up, but the juvenile in me is going to come out and what I'm going to do to you now, because I have your attention and I'm standing on the stage so I can. So the King James Version is going to pop up behind me. Here it goes. And the part that, I'm going to read the whole thing just because it's funny. Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. It almost, it almost sounds singable. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. I, I know, I highlighted he stinketh. I think it's hilarious. You can quote that part of the Bible if you want to, too. You put it on a t-shirt. He stinketh. I don't know if you want to do that, but uh, as I've come across some people I've wanted to say that to. But it's an interesting thing that the practical Martha, like, oh, I don't know if you want to do this, because he's been in there four days. Decomposition is coming. Flies and stuff like that, the odor. Uh, Lord, uh, that's going to stink. <laughs> it's her brother, but she's practical. She's just being practical. I mean, they wrap him. You know how they, the burial practice is they wrap him and they put medicines all over the bandages. You know, that's how, that's how they did that. And that was... A ceremonial thing, and it was a practical thing to try to preserve the body as well. Uh, but it was mostly a ceremonial thing. But he's wrapped up in cloths rather tightly and buried and anointed. They've, they've already done this. He's been in there four days. He's going to stink. <laughs> I appreciate her practical nature. And it's just funny to me. Okay, now we'll pick up with the next verse, verse 40. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Now that's another little window of Jesus a window of looking into the way his mind was working. Think about this. He's already taught people how you're supposed to pray. When you pray, do it like this. And he prayed. He said, when you pray, don't do it to be heard by men, but do it in private. But then he demonstrated open and public prayer. So your prayers are not to be done so that you can impress other people. But it's still okay to do public prayer because he did it then and he's doing it now. He said a prayer to his father 
not because he needed to say the prayer, but that other people needed to hear it. He wasn't trying to impress them. He was trying to teach them. It meant more to them that he was praying than it did that he, to him that was doing the praying. Sometimes when you pray, it impacts the people who hear it more than you expect. Sometimes people will come up to you because they know you're a Christian and they don't necessarily believe in all the stuff you believe in, but they're going through stuff and they don't know what else to do and you pray. Would, you know, when, when you do, if you feel like it, if you don't mind, would, would you pray for me? One of the best moves you can make is right then and there say, I will. Put your hand on their shoulder if they're not uncomfortable with that and pray with them right then and there. That pulls them into an intimacy, a conversation with God. They didn't ask to be pulled into that, but they opened the door and you should walk through it. It might happen on the phone. Talking on the phone to somebody, hey, would you pray for me? Yes, um, let's do that right now and pray. So I would highly recommend if they open the door, walk through it and pray with them right then and there. And Jesus was teaching this. Verse 43 continues. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips. I told you, his hands and feet are bound with linen strips. And his face wrapped with a cloth, Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, let's not miss this. The juvenile part of me is coming out, but I'm going to tell you right now, this is probably very realistic and unlike what we thought. So I'm going to suggest to you that when Jesus called out, Lazarus, come forth, or however the wording was in the Hebrew that he was probably speaking, when he called him to come forth, he came out. I don't think because his hands and his feet were bound, and cloth was over his face. I don't think he was blindly hopping. That would be counterproductive if he were like, oh, that's goofy. I, I imagine, because of the juvenile youth in me, I imagine he like just floated and just, <sighs> a miracle. I mean, he rose from the dead. That's pretty powerful. Why have him hop around with his hands and feet bound? His hands and feet were bound as he came forth. So I hope that you imagine... Lazarus simply sliding across the ground or even hovering over it. However, he came forth in a miraculous way, risen from the dead, and he didn't hop around with his hands and feet bound because he stayed bound. He had to stay in place, and they had to unbind him. So don't imagine that goofy hopping around thing I just did. Don't imagine that happening. I don't think so. I think it was a miraculous sliding. There he is. Pretty cool thing for everyone to witness. All right. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. How would you not? The guy's been dead four days. He's been cooped up in there. No food, no drink. How would you not? So many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. These would be... Maybe some who did believe, maybe they didn't. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? 
For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, whose name is not just mentioned this one time in the Bible. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Now, don't miss that. The, that definite article probably should be capitalized in your mind. The high priest, the hot shot, the, the big guy, the high priest, believes that Jesus is real and he has to die for the people of God. But will they listen? So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Nope, they ignored their leader, the high priest. They should be paying attention. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with the disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. They want to kill him. Even though the high priest told them, hey, hey. Now, we just got through the entire chapter of chapter 11, but I want to get back to what I said I would get back to. Can we look at the shortest verse in the English Bible again? We think it's so significant because it's the shortest verse in the English Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. I think it behooves us to ask the glaring big question. Why? You'll see it slowly appear up behind me. I want you to think about that just for a minute. Jesus wept. Okay. But Why? And as you'll notice, the why that came up behind me, it's a little off. I don't know if it bothers you when things are supposed to be straight and they're not straight. That why is a little crooked. I did that on purpose because it's, it's a little unsettling when you think about it. Think about this. And ask the question, why, why did he weep? I mean, they, their response was, see how he loved him. Okay. Jesus, God in the flesh. Did he know? 
that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right, because he, he did say this will not end in death. Remember that? And then he said, and he, you could tell by everything, it was all very choreographed. Didn't I tell you to believe? I'm the resurrection and the life. So he's done all these things culminating to this point, and he's going to illustrate he's got power of over death. So if he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why is he crying? I mean, he knows that Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. So why is he crying? It's a good question. Why? I mean, everybody else is crying. I mean, if it was me, you put me in Jesus' place and I would mess it up. Because if I know that I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead, I'd be like, come on, people. I got this. Come chill. I'm here. You don't need to be crying. That's what I would be doing. Because I'm there. And I can, I, I'll show you, I'm going to show you something that's really cool. You saw, you, you seen me do things already. Watch this. You know, that's what I would do. And I would be getting on to them. You don't need to be crying. I know you miss him, but we're about to change things. I'd be excited. I'd be so happy and I would mess it up. Instead, Jesus, if you remember, we highlighted the Greek word. He was extremely bothered. He was unsettled in such a way that he was not the calm one. I mean, he was, but deep inside, he was troubled. Why? Why is he crying? Why is he so upset? Why is he deeply troubled? He's got this. Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead in a miracle that's grander than anything he's done yet. Why did he cry. And why did God inspire John to write this that would be known as the shortest verse in the English Bible, John eleven thirty five? 35? Why? Why? I mean, does it really lose anything if we don't put that in there? Yes, it does. Because the why is the good, glaring, problematic question that needs to be answered. They were hurting. doesn't make sense. Jesus is there. He can take care of whatever hurts going on. He can raise him from the dead, and they should know this. But they're hurting. They miss their friend. They're, they're mourning his death. They all loved Lazarus. They loved Mary and Martha, who are also hurting so there's, it's just like a regular, you go to a memorial service, supposed, we call them now celebrations of life, but it's sad. Even if you know that their destiny is heaven, it's still sad because they're no longer with us. It's painful and you, you hurt, you, you cry. And Jesus is troubled because other people he loves are hurting. Does it make sense that they're hurting? Not really, because they should know that he's got this. So, can you think about that just for a minute? When you're going through something, you're hurting. Maybe it doesn't make sense to your spouse. 
Maybe it doesn't make sense to your kids or your parents. Maybe it doesn't make sense to other people. Maybe it doesn't even make sense to you. <laughs> You're just hurting. And some people go through that. They'll just go through a time where they're, they go through some crying and they don't even know why. doesn't make sense. Life's mostly good. Why are they crying? Don't know, but they're doing it. Talk to God about it. God, I don't know why I'm crying. Everything's going well. You're blessing me. I'm still crying. Why are you crying? Jesus doesn't do it like I would do it. Why are you crying? God's got this. No, instead he looks at each one of us and when he sees us hurting, he hurts. It's not just that he sees you hurting and he's like, oh, he's hurting. Poor lady, poor guy. It's not that. No, he gets deeply troubled because you are. So whatever it is, you might struggle with some health issues that you don't want to talk about because you think people get tired of hearing the same thing over and over again. Maybe you got some other things going on, some financial things. Maybe you got some just emotional things. Whatever it is and you're going through and it doesn't make sense, you should just hand it over to God and you should know it's going to be okay. But even so, if it even doesn't make sense, when you're hurting, he's troubled. Does that tell you something? You, you don't go through anything alone. He doesn't just feel sorry for you. He hurts because you're hurting. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us the way you do. We know that it's a love that's very hard to understand. But we certainly appreciate it. Teach us to love like that. In Jesus' name, amen.